Mac Power Users, episode 539. Back to email. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I'm joined by my fellow Mac Power User and co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Good. I think there is a rite of passage as a host of the Mac Power Users, and that is you have to do an email show with me before it's official. I don't know how we let this <laughs> slip through the cracks. I made it a year and a half before the email beast within you was unleashed. That's how, how I think about it. Email is always an issue. I did a, a post on the forum asking for people to talk about their problems and solutions in email and, and prep for the show. We're going to talk about that towards the end of the show. There was like 70 or 80 <laughs> responses. I mean, this is something that is always on people's mind. And it's frankly always in motion. We've covered email in the past on the Mac Power Users, but it's been years. And I know all of my workflows have changed, and we've never heard from Stevens. So we thought, what the heck? Let's talk about email. Let's talk about email. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to me, I was thinking about this before we recorded, how email just means so many different things to different people. And that's reflected in that forum thread. But for a lot of us, email is basically only a work thing and basically. I rarely email or get emails from friends about social things unless it's like a big announcement, right? Yeah. Like a, hey, we're yeah. having a party or something where it would just be difficult to text 30 people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of people use email for everything. A lot of people just use it in work. People have different accounts they have to manage. It's always different for everybody. I think today we're going to try to hit as many sort of use cases and solutions we can because, honestly, a lot of this comes down to how you need to work. And sometimes that's enforced upon you by an employer or somebody like that. Yeah. I, I do feel like for a lot of people, it is a source of dread. You know, I, uh, I have a friend that works for a large firm and the partners send him emails and they expect him to respond immediately. And it's like, uh, the guy, did you ever see lost? Uh, only sporadically. It's like the guy in the Island. He's got to type the code in the computer every 20 minutes or the world ends. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. that's, that's his feeling. It's like, I can literally not put my phone down because if I don't get an email, don't respond. Of course, his real problem is he's working for a jack, but that's a thing for people. And I can understand why email brings dread, but we're going to try and talk about it today in a way that's healthy and maybe help you figure out some ways to deal with those people and, uh, and get better at this. I think we should probably just start with the email technology, uh, we've covered this in great detail in the past, so we're going to make this a shorter discussion, but just let's talk about the idea of POP, IMAP, and Gmail, and these are the technologies that drive email. To begin with, POP was the thing everybody had, um, and the way POP worked was you'd get a server, it would hold your message, and it would drive the message down to your computer and leave it off the server. This is a, kind of a simplification. But back when we all had one computer, it was great because it got the message off the server and onto your computer, and everything was dandy. Mm -hmm. Is that a good summary? It is. The way I used to explain it to people, Pop is still around, but it's uh, dying off quickly. But I get questions about this pretty often. And the way I would explain the difference is POP is how the, the post office works, right? Your postal service, you know, like the woman who walks through our neighborhood every day. She has my mail and then she hands it to me. That's how POP is, right? They no longer have a copy of it. I have the copy of it. And it means that there's only one copy. So an email is like an actual letter in the world of POP where 
with IMAP to contrast that IMAP both it's like the post office and I keep copies of of my mail and so IMAP the server keeps a copy and your computer keeps a copy and what that means is you can have multiple devices and they all stay in sync I remember David I remember for years it was like the bane of my existence Someone would come to the Genius Bar and be like, hey, I'm getting email on my computer, but I don't get all of them on my phone. Yeah. And sure enough, you go in and they're using Yahoo or AT&T or Comcast or something over pop. And it just didn't scale to a world where people had multiple devices. The cable internet providers were classic at using and sticking with way too long pop servers. Mm-hmm. So if you had an email address through your cable company, you know, in my area, it's Cox. Uh, it was a pop mail account and the same thing. Uh, friends and family all complained to me when the iPhone started to get traction. That's when you really saw it because that was for a lot of people, that was the second device. You yeah. know, not, not many people were crazy enough to have a laptop and a desktop computer, but a lot of people right. started to get an iPhone to go along with their computer mm-hmm. and you had to get them onto an IMAP server. And so, so IMAP, um, that not only does that cloud copy allow you to keep it on every platform, it also follows the truth is in the cloud metaphor. So you could put a folder in, say, Mac Power User Feedback, and it would populate that folder up to the cloud copy, and the folder would show up on all your devices. So if you moved an email from one dev- on one device, it would show on all the devices. It's just a kind of a way to use email on more than one device at the same time without going crazy. Yeah, that's right. And it was a, a huge boon to a lot of people's productivity. Like you said, when you, when you get that second device or if you wanted to log into your email, you know, on your work computer or something. Uh, the first experience I had with IMAP email was .Mac way back in the day. Sure. Apple was early to the game. Yeah. And I was only checking it right on my PowerBook. But then because I am who I am, I bought a Newton and used it in college and I could get my email on my Newton and it was sync with my PowerBook and it was awesome. I love that you figured out IMAP for your Newton. I, I, I may have told this story on the show before, so forgive me if, if I have, but I had to take like the network card to the IT help desk so they could assign the MAC address to my student ID because the browser didn't support like the login thing they had. And so I remember the guy just looking at me like, what are you doing, man? What is this? You know, but they did it. They put the MAC address on there and I could browse kind of and check my email. It was awesome. You know, it's funny because, see, the Newton came out about the time we had our first daughter. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, Newton or diapers, right? And <laughs> so I never bought a Newton. I just I just couldn't afford it at the time. And you talking about it makes me, well, I think I'm going to get on eBay or something. I need to get myself a Newton just to play with. Yeah, you should. Should get I? Get a 2000 or a 2100, though, because they're, they're like the good ones. Yeah, how much do they cost? On eBay? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked in a while. All right. I uh, I have self-control issues on eBay sometimes. Yeah, so yeah. I don't browse anymore. <laughs> All right. I, I think you need to – you and I will talk about that. I need to figure out okay. which one I need. I'm, I'm going to okay. get a Newton. I want to play the Newton. Anyway, um, so so IMAP showed up. IMAP is kind of uh, – I, I don't want to say open standard, but it's kind of like the standard. It's not controlled by a specific company. Um, it's a great way to manage your email even today. And uh, frankly, it's the way I prefer to manage my email, um, you know, because oh, yeah. w- with an IMAP account, I can move it between different mail services. We'll talk about a couple of those in a minute. And 
you know, I just kind of feel comfortable with IMAP. Like one of the reasons why I like IMAP is because SaneBox, I use SaneBox and I have no problem attaching it to my IMAP account. I know they work with the other systems as well, but I just kind of like the portability of IMAP. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is a little more proprietary. That's Google's account, and that's the the Gmail protocol. And that started out as IMAP, but it's become more. It has. They have so far kept most backwards compatibility with IMAP, but they wanted to go further than just the base IMAP spec. And so now if you you know sign in with a Gmail account like on an iOS device or a Mac, you actually like usually authenticate out to the web and mail is doing a little bit more in the background than just pure IMAP fetching. But it works the same way at the end of the day, right? You have folders that sync and all your messages stay in sync. I'm sure Google would like you to use their web interface and their iOS app, which we'll talk about in a little while. But it does work, continues to work in the built-in mail client uh, most of the time. Over the years, there's been periods where it works better times than others. But yeah, Gmail's sort of, they're sort of doing their own thing, but they're so big they can get away with it. You know, somebody like Yahoo Mail, which is, I'm still sure, huge in, in certain parts of the population. You know, they're doing standard stuff, but Google wants to layer additional stuff on top. Yeah, so so IMAP, it's IMAP Plus. And I wrote a, a field guide on email several years ago, and I still get email from uh, customers about that. And quite often they'll say, my IMAP is behaving oddly. And if I write them back and say, are you on Gmail? Nine times out of 10, they are. It's mm-hmm. even, even though they say it's backwards compatible, in my opinion, Gmail is something separate. And you almost need to treat it as something separate in your mind. It, and it's fine because there's some great features with Gmail. And maybe that's your thing. But if you just want to use an IMAP client, don't set up a Gmail account. That's that's one of my takeaways for this show. Am I, am I being too uh, draconian? No, no, I don't think so. Because, I mean, I think there's a real possibility in the future that they break away from IMAP completely and, like, Google does their own thing. Yeah, (laughs) that's entirely possible. But also, it's just, I feel like it's going to bite you at some point. Probably. You know, either way. uh, So let's say you want to use IMAP. You need an Mm -hmm. IMAP server. And uh, you talked already. You started with .Mac. iCloud is IMAP. So, like, if you're using your Apple account, you're on IMAP already. Um, Now, I think a lot of the, the... the cable companies have finally kind of joined the future and they have IMAP accounts. IMAP accounts are just about everywhere, but if you're going to get one, if you're going to pay for one, uh, there's two services I would recommend. The first is the one I use. It's hover. Um, They've been a sponsor of the show in the past and I have my domains there. So it's just easier to have everything in one place. So both my legal and my max Sparky accounts are at hover and I've also purchased additional accounts because I have an assistant and some other people that I have helped me. So I have bought email accounts for them. They're not too expensive and they're solid. You know, another one that people like a lot is Fastmail. Yeah, Fastmail is a company. They've been around quite a long time and they offer basically IMAP email. You can use your own domain like you do with Hover, uh, but they have some additional features that may be uh, useful to some people. So they do have webmail that's actually pretty good. Of course, it syncs because it's IMAP with everything else. Uh, they have a ca- they have calendar stuff built in, and they have uh, this neat ability. Uh, you said that you know you need to make additional email accounts for uh, other people on your team, and and of course Fastmail you can do that too. But Fastmail also does 
a thing that iCloud does where you can have aliases. So for instance, you could have, you know, David Sparks or David underscore Sparks, like have different ones all go to the same place. Yeah. So you can kind of manage those things. It's a really nice system. Their privacy stuff is really good as well, which is a big thing when you, when you talk to email, uh, talk about email. Uh, their uh, data centers and everything are, you know, they are they take it all seriously, right? They are an email company, unlike some of these other services that do a bunch of other stuff too. Fastmail, like this is their business, and they do a really good job of it. Yeah, so you can set up your own IMAP service. It's not too expensive and uh, be off the races. In fact, I would recommend... Um, if you are using like a cable company uh, email, you should consider purchasing a domain for your family name or whatever your business is and setting up an email. I just think it, it looks so much better when you send email out from your own domain. Um, I just got an email the other day from an attorney with an AOL account. I'm like, what the hell? I didn't even know they those still worked, you know? <laughs> Well, and you have the problem, too, of what happens like when that company gets bought out or they change that domain and your your email is sort of sort of at their your email address, I have to say, is sort of at their whim. Right. Yeah. And so people here in the South had a unit bellsouth.net email for a really long time. And then they were bought by AT&T and bought by this company, and that company. Yeah. And you can get it to a point where it's really like three layers down. And like you said, it doesn't look very professional. I think anyone who's doing anything with business, you need to have, you know, your company domain name in your email address. Like my work email is Stephen at relay.fm because that's where I work. That's my name. And it looks very professional when I send email. Yeah. But even personally, I think it, it looks good to get one in your family name. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, We mentioned iCloud. Um, since we're a show that focuses on Apple, I think we need to give iCloud a little bit of time as an IMAP uh, performer. So let's talk, let's grade IMAP a little bit. Um, How do you see it in terms of stability? You know, iCloud email, I think, is pretty stable. You know, I think in in terms of iCloud overall, they've done, they've done a lot better with that over the years. Uh, My my problems with like iCloud email is much more about the features they offer than anything else. Yeah, I I would agree on stability. Um, They historically, they had some downtime. Um, that I haven't seen that for a long time now and having, uh, email, IMAP emails with both Apple and, uh, hover, I don't see any difference between them. They seem to go just as fast and, you know, they give me the email. Um, there is one issue with, um, iCloud that came up in the forums and, and this is true. I, I've witnessed this as well. And folks are calling it silent filtering where Apple mm-hmm. has tried to add spam filtering and it, instead of putting the spam that it discovers in your spam box, it just leaves it on the server and never sends it to you. Mm. And um, we had a, a listener who is part, also part of the Automators podcast forum, and he couldn't get email from the Automators forum. It turned out that iCloud decided, no, this is junk. You don't need to see this ever. And um, I have not – once I read about that, and, and this has apparently been an issue for some time with Apple, I went in. I didn't see anything in there that wasn't entirely junk. and. But there is a, a degree of mistrust towards iCloud because of that, and I guess we should at least mention it. Um, as someone who uses iCloud for my personal email, I I have not seen a problem with this, and it didn't doesn't make me want to quit using iCloud. But you should at least be aware of it. Yeah, I, I don't use iCloud as my primary 
private email address. It, it forwards over to my Gmail. But I, I've seen this as well. I've had, you know, people ask me for help. Like, hey, I, you know, I think it went to spam, but it's not in my junk folder. It's like, well, you got to go look online. And they should just sync that to the spam folder over IMAP. That's, what, that's how yeah. Gmail does it. That's how everyone else does it. Because no system is perfect, right? Even Gmail, which has incredible spam filtering, sometimes things get in there that I actually need, right? And having to log in to like, Look, iCloud, the website is beautiful, but it's not very fast compared to Gmail or these other things. Yeah. This should just, you should just sync the spam to the spam folder and like, it's fine. You're not, I don't care about the space on my devices, right? There's not like it's a lot of, a lot of space taken up. I don't care about the bandwidth. I would like to have those there in case I need them. Uh, It's really an odd problem from Apple because I feel like, you know, historically they've had trouble with cloud services. And why on earth would they think that they're the ones of all the companies that could make the decision for you that they're the one? And also it kind of ties in with the other complaint about iCloud is, you know, the online rules are not very good. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the reason I don't use it for my private email, because I do have some rules set up of things to go to folders or, you know, things to stay, you know, pick up a flag, like all these different things. And I just don't want to use email without those rules and yeah and the iCloud server side rules are just not very good which is really a shame because the mail app on the mac actually has a pretty decent rule set it's like just pick those up and put them in the cloud and let them filter my email and do these rules on the server side because the problem with having them in the mail app is the mail app has to be open for those rules to be enacted and so you will get in a situation where if you're running down a home server and it gets shut off or you're out and about, right? And it's slow. You're going to see things in your inbox and suddenly they move to a folder because your Mac's catching up. It's just like, do it on the server side like everybody else does. Yeah, okay. So I will argue with you there. I don't think the rules on the Mac are pretty good. I think they're amazing. I mean, the if you dig in, and we'll talk about Apple Mail in a minute, but I feel like the, uh, the, the mails on that mail app run circles around the rules on Gmail's online stuff. But then again, the Gmail online stuff runs circles around the iCloud online stuff. But uh-huh. I, if I've ever been tempted to switch over to Gmail, it's every time I take a look at the Gmail online rules, because uh, obviously the cloud is the better place to apply mail rules for all the reasons you just said. And I don't know if Apple's even looked at this question because you know, while everything in email changes every few years and we have to talk about getting on Mac power users, I suspect if you went back to the very first episode we recorded on this over 10 years ago, we had the same complaints about iCloud or whatever it was called at that time. Maybe it was .Mac then, but it was the same problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the server-side rules are just, there's like three of them. And and that you can't you can't even like apply them like in any any sort of complexity. So I uh, I'm disappointed that that hasn't got better. Um, okay, so iCloud, uh, I still use it though, and I use it for my personal account, and I don't really feel um, highly motivated to switch off of it. And then uh, Gmail, we've kind of already talked about, but and we also did a whole episode on it with episode four sixty nine, kind of going over Gmail and the and the Google Suite. But mm-hmm. but like we just said, there are some real reasons to want to use Gmail. Yeah, the rules are a big one. I think a lot of people who want to use or honestly have to use webmail, say they're at work and you know they can't hook their email up to Outlook or whatever it is on the PC, like Gmail in the browser is 
as far as webmail goes, the best in the world. It's it's actually really nice. And I think a lot of people, honestly, I think a lot of people just use it that way. They just go to the Gmail website and check their mail and they don't, you know, maybe they have it on their phone, but they don't have a mail client set up on their on their laptop or whatever. So I think Google being a web first company, it makes their email a much better experience for more people. You know, all this got me thinking as I was planning for this show, you know, Pop is kind of antiquated. IMAP is getting the job done. Gmail is pushing the envelope. But we haven't really seen any new emerging underlying email technology in a lot of years now. Um, Is innovation on this part of email dead at this point? I don't know if it's if it's that it's dead or that if everything is so mature, it's just a lot slower. I mean, even if you talk about the things that make Gmail good, like the rules and the web app and that sort of thing, they haven't added that much to email itself, right? It's still yeah. basically receive and send. Now, they're, they're thinking the beginning, and we, <clears throat> we take it for granted now, what Gmail did in the beginning was search and archiving, right? So instead of like putting everything in folders, if you need to keep it, you can just archive everything and just search for it. And in my personal email, I only have a couple of folders and I just search the rest of the time. And they really changed that paradigm for a lot of people. So I give, I give Gmail credit there as well. But yeah, it may just be that, hey, you know, things are kind of uh, set in stone now. Yeah, they, they are pretty stable. Um and I think maybe the innovation is more on the app side and yeah. the server rule side, but, but it, overall the underlying time, and maybe that's a good thing. I mean, we don't want to have to change email services often. We just want our email to get better. Mm-hmm. The, the innovation I was able, you know, kind of searching around on this in preparation for the show, all the innovation I found was like creepy advertising stuff. So <laughs> I, there, there really isn't a lot going on. But I, I really think um, IMAP or Gmail, you're fine with either one. You may miss out on some of the cool Gmail tricks, but you've got more portability with IMAP and you've got more availability of applications. But on the Gmail side, um, you've got those additional features and you just have to kind of pick your poison. Yeah, and not everyone's comfortable with every company, right? Some people aren't comfortable with Google. Some people aren't comfortable with Apple. It's just you've got to kind of pick what you want. So any of these services, you know, make sure that you, you know, understand their privacy policies, policies, et cetera. The reason I'm not using Gmail is not because I'm creeped out by Google. It's really, I like the portability of IMAP. I just like mm-hmm. how universal it is because I try a lot of different email apps and I want the ability to be able to work with them. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, the 1Password solution for everyone. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. So 1Password is the app that takes care of all your passwords for you. First, it generates passwords for you. Because if you don't have an app generate the passwords, you're going to use the same one over and over again. And then when the bad guys get that password, they're going to try it out on a bunch of different websites and they're going to hack all your accounts. So you don't want that. You want 1Password generating unique passwords for you. And then it remembers and inserts them for you. So the only thing you have to remember is your 1Password. But even with 1Password, you don't have to remember that password that often because they're so technology advanced. They they use things like Touch ID and face um, detection. So the app just gets in there. It's like having your cake and eating it too. You've got real solid security and convenience. Amen. Who doesn't like that? Um, 1Password also does a great job of publishing ideas and ways to use their products better. 
They've got two services that are online that I want you to think about. One is the 1Password for business, and one is 1Password for families. I have the 1Password for families account, and it's great. In fact, just the other day, we got, um, we're trying out the new HBO Now service, HBO Now service. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter uh, wasn't, she didn't have her 1Password on her device. Like, I want these kids using 1Password all the time. So I put the new password in 1Password, and I said, yeah, you can use the HBO app, but you just have to go get the password out of your one password account. So now she's using it again. Anyway, um, but they have some great advice on their blog about getting started with getting your family or small business started with one password. Like start small, you know, just add a few people at a time. Uh, make sure that they can find out how it works and how easy it is, and then kind of expand the group. And we've done that kind of in our family unit. My wife and I have separate vaults we share with like the banking stuff and all the things we need to share as husband and wife, but the kids don't necessarily need to see. And then we've got the family vault that has things like the HBO password and things like that. So um, it's been a real successful, I guess, implementation. Can I say that with air quotes on in the family? Once I kind of drug my one daughter into it, but uh, I'm really happy with the way it works out. And it's just a safe and secure way. They've got all these great features like Watchtower that looks at your accounts to say, hey, you're using this service. They got hacked recently. You should go and change your password. And they're just looking out for you. I know personally a bunch of the people behind one password. I we kind of grew up together in this little world of technology and I know that they are super passionate about protecting your passwords. So go check it out at onepassword.com slash MPU, all caps to that MPU to get the discount of twenty percent off. Start protecting your passwords today. And thank you, one password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So we've talked about some email services and the you know things that power the service side of it but how most of us interact with our email is just applications right whether it be on the mac iphone or ipad even the apple watch has mail clients now yeah so i I think that's where we should spend some time next talking about sort of the interface that we use or and that is available as available to people and i think the first one we got to deal with is apple mail yeah well i i think since the last time we covered this on on Mac power users. One thing I would say is that there's been compression in the market of mail apps that it was wild for a few years there. When the app store first premiered, there were a bunch of people trying out interesting and crazy ideas for mail apps and nearly all of them are gone now. And I guess one of the lessons from this is it's hard to make a mail app and it's hard to make one that you can sell commercially and keep Mm -hmm. in the business. So we're going to focus on kind of what we consider to be the four big ones here, Apple Mail, Gmail, AirMail, and SparkMail. But, you know, it it is of note that there are fewer options available than there were. And then kind of getting down to Apple Mail. So, and I've talked about this on the show, every year or two, like I use Apple Mail begrudgingly. You know, it's not like there there are apps in my life, and listeners probably know what they are, that... I get happy, genuinely happy opening up and using them. They're made by people who are super passionate about what they're making. The app helps me get my work done, makes me more productive, and just kind of a delightful experience. That's a big deal to me. Uh, Apple Mail does not give me those warm and fuzzy feelings. It's So, so Apple Mail has been around a really long time. In fact, 
uh, working on another project, I came across this announcement from Apple in the late 90s, like OS X is going to include its own email client because the classic Mac OS didn't. Yeah. And if you look back, you know, those early versions of OS X and Mail today, yes, it looks different. I mean, the UI has been modernized, but it's pretty much the same app. There has been same a lot features. of... yeah. Yeah, a lot of features in there. And we've spoken about before how there were some security issues and that they had to patch up and like they've been working on it, I'm sure, but it's it's the default, right? And a lot of Apple's default apps are meant for the masses. And if you need more as a power user, you can go third party, right? Like reminders and omnifocus or things or to-doist or whatever. But I think mail's a little bit different because I think most people who use email on the Mac, like maybe don't even think about there being third-party email clients. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's fine. Like it gets the job done, but it is very, as far as modern features, very simple. Yeah. So I found myself in San Jose a few years ago, um, sitting with somebody from the Apple mail team. And it was great because, you know, I got to kind of like talk to them about their app and, some things I learned from that conversation and actually, frankly, from my experiences with third-party apps is that mail is really hard. You know, even though I say IMAP is the standard, it's really not a standard. A bunch of people implement it differently and mail apps don't always have the ability to open a mail and properly display the mail as it was intended to be sent. And this is something that Apple has spent many, many, many hours on and it Mm -hmm. shows because Mail opens in the Apple Mail app, and it shows how it's supposed to show. Where in some of these third-party apps, in my you know ventures into third-party apps, that's not necessarily the case. Another big thing about Mail is you know it when email first started, nobody thought about security. When Apple Mail first started, nobody really thought about security. And something they've spent an enormous amount of time on over the last several years is implementing way more secure protocols that allow you to still use plugins. We'll talk about some plugins later, but also make it safe, which was mm-hmm. actually a very difficult task. And they, so they, they've been doing a lot of work to keep it, you know, stable and working. And that's the thing it has going for the most, in my opinion, I use it begrudgingly, but every time I try other apps, they make me want to throw my phone through the window. <laughs> because yeah, that's, like, that's fair. You know, and it's like, and we're going to talk about airmail later, but I had this thing where airmail told me it sent a mail and it didn't send the mail. You know, it's like mm-hmm. email, you got one job, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, Apple Mail never did that. So, it, you know, th- it's the stability that keeps me coming back. I think another thing about Apple Mail that it doesn't get enough credit for is search. You know, you're talking about search with Google. Search with Apple Mail has got, really good and they've got a tokenized search system now and like you i don't use gmail but i have all of my mail saved to a single archive folder for each account and i'm able to find anything i want um with the tokens you know so you can type like a name of a person but then just get emails you sent to that person and then type in a word that might be contained in the email and you can search a you know multiple hundred thousand email library and get down to what you want very quickly that's gotten way better over the years. Search wasn't always good yep. in Apple Mail, but that's where they've really made improvements over the last few years. The The other thing Apple Mail gives me that um, really no other email does is automation and expandability. 
So automation, meaning especially on the Mac, I can Apple script address the mail application, my individual messages. One of my most popular posts at Max Barkey, I'll put a link in the show notes, is the Apple script I have that I go to write an email. Like if I have an email to Stephen Hackett and I just put Stephen in as the recipient of the email and I get to the body and I type X high, you know, X H I. Mm-hmm. It says, hi, Stephen, comma, new paragraph. It, mm-hmm. Whatever the name of the person I'm sending to, it just drops it in. I don't know how many times a day I use that, but it's a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, somebody in the forums wrote in that they use Apple Mail because of that Apple script, you know. And, wow, you know, that's cool. You, you, you can't you do that with other Apple, you know, with other applications. I, I just have, haven't seen any others adopt automation that way. And I believe that's kind of the result of Sal Segoyan you know, running around Apple with the automation bandwagon for so long, but it gives you some features, you know, you can add features you want and the plugin stuff too. Like they could have decided security is too important, no more plugins, but they didn't, they just created a new plugin architecture. It's a pain in the neck when you set up a new plugin, but it's secure and things like mail tags and all the other plugins that we want to use with Apple mail are generally still there. I'm not a big mail plugin user. In fact, I don't have any installed. Um, I've tried some over the years, but nothing's really stuck with me. Yeah. Well, I, I when we get to workflows, I'm going to talk about it. I, I have an on-again, off-again relationship with mail tags and mail act-on. But because of some other stuff I'm doing with my workflow right now, it's kind of an important piece, which mm-hmm. makes me nervous, honestly, because you know every time they do a, you know, a system update, it takes them a while to catch up. But anyway, yeah, I, I use some plugins. For all that being said, or VIPs is another thing. Apple Mail does really good. You know, VIPs is a great feature. You just click one button, person goes to VIP. I uh, I use that frequently. Like if I'm in the middle of a transaction with another lawyer, I'll put it on. I'll put that person on as a VIP just temporarily. Other people's are always VIPs like you, Stephen. You're always a VIP. <laughs> Am I always a VIP to you, man? So, you are now. You weren't for a while, and you gave me, you shamed me on the podcast. So I, I yeah. made you a, a VIP. I just want to make sure I still am. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. have a way to know. I mean, yeah. So when we talk about how we use this, uh, VIPs are the only mail notifications that come to the screen on my phone. So <laughs> I get. Uh, I know if you or Mike Hurley or Matt Wife email me. That's okay, about it. just keep it that way. That's okay. All. Yeah. But yeah, so there's some features there, but all the stuff like we talk about with Samebox, none of that stuff is there. You know, deferring email. You know, there, there's a lot of smart stuff going on with email now, and Apple Mail hasn't picked up any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, snoozing. I mean, just there's so much stuff. It is a shame that Apple hasn't looked at these third-party clients and seen what's popular with them. But at the same time, like... You know, maybe they want to keep that tool as basic as possible for the masses. I mean, I could see that being a real balancing act they have to pull off. In my head canon, what's been going on is that security thing really just finished rolling out with the last update. Last year was the final kind of piece of the new plug-in security architecture. Mm-hmm. And they were so busy getting it onto the iOS devices. I feel like this is the year. Every year, I believe this, Stephen, every year. But this is the <laughs> year, man. They fixed security. They fixed iOS, or at least they have it on iOS. Maybe this is the year that, like, hey, guys, let's add some new features. I don't know. Um, a couple power tips for mail. Um, learn keyboard shortcuts, and they're not intuitive. Shift-Command-L to flag. 
Although that's kind of, you find that throughout the operating system for flags, uh, shift command D to send instead of just command S. Not sure how that happened. I think this is, somebody's going to write me and tell me this goes back to the terminal. I know, but whatever. Uh, well, sometimes Apple uses shift. And if it's like a later letter in the shortcut, so like command S is save command shift D D is yeah. at the end of send. But yeah, that's one that's like wired into my brain. It's all with my left hand. Like I can just send an email without looking. I can understand command S is is more important for save, but why did they choose D? You know, what is, what is on shift command S that is so important? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then control command A to archive. They added that one, I believe a few iterations ago, but it's a very fast way to get through. Uh, some other mail power tips. You can rename flags. I'll talk about how I, when I talk about email, renaming flags is very important. We didn't really talk about uh, mail on iOS though. And as much as we're unhappy with features with mail on Mac, it's that times 10 on iPhone and iPad. It is. And I wonder why, like, I just, I wonder why people or why developers or why users like treat them so differently. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have no idea. Just like (laughs) I say, every year they're going to add new features. Every year I say they're going to add a share sheet to the iPhone and iPads mail client. I, I mean, hope springs eternal, Stephen. As we're mm-hmm. recording this, it's June when we're recording this. Maybe in two weeks, the long nightmare will be over and we'll be able to share an email. But I'm starting to lose faith. I don't Me know. Too. So, you know, the, the one of the big issues is if you get an email that is like a receipt for something, you want to save a copy in case the our friends at the IRS want to see it someday. On the Mac, it's very easy to save that document as a PDF and save it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Or even save the email file. There's a lot you can do. There are third-party apps that make this very easy. Apple Mail, the, their solution is you hit the menu button, you hit the print button, you do a reverse pinch, and then you hit the sharing button. <laughs> that that's the, <laughs> that's the steps, man. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And again, all these third-party apps have it. Clearly, people want it. They're just they just don't do it. Yeah, and and I've heard explanations saying, "Well, we don't know what format you want to share it in. It's an email, so what do you mean when you say share? We're not sure." Well, you know what format? I want to save it as a PDF because you Always. already built you already built that. Yeah, you, you already built it, guys. All you got to do is put a button. Literally, all the steps that we go through to make it save that email as a PDF, just put one button. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't get it, and um. Boy, these apps, you know, Net, you're making me want to try third-party apps again. Just talking no, about this. don't do it. <laughs> I mean, look, a lot of them are fine, and we'll talk about them. But uh, but you're right. The lack of a share sheet on iOS just, it kills me. Um, it's, it's baffling. <laughs> I don't get it. It is. And they've had some issues in iOS 13. I, I certainly have seen it where there'll be a badge for an email, and the email is nowhere to be found until you, like, force quit the app. Like, sometimes the refreshing is weird if you go into a folder. On iOS 13, mail is still a little bit rough, I think. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is a professional document and information management application for the Mac. It helps you collect and file and organize and edit and annotate all kinds of documents so you can reach digital organizational heaven. You can archive all your email with the Enhanced Email Archiver, scan your paper documents with the revised scanner interface, 
You can even imprint PDFs with custom stamps before giving them to others. One of my favorite features is the OCR that it runs when you pull in PDFs. That is absolutely crucial to the way that I work in DevonThink. And you can organize your documents in any way you want. You can have smart groups, which work like smart folders or smart mailboxes, give it a bunch of credentials, and it figures out what, where stuff should go. And there's integrated AI, which can assist you in filing and searching. You can automate your workflows by creating smart rules and adding flexible reminders to any document. This means that even non-programmers can easily automate many parts of their workflow, so you can delegate the boring repeating tasks to DevonThink. And finally, sync your data securely between your devices. You can use your preferred web storage provider, like Dropbox, iCloud, etc., or even directly sync across your local network. So you can take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it now. Go to devontechnologies.com slash MPU. That's devontechnologies.com slash MPU for 10% off of DevonThink 3. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right. We got through the Apple mail. Let's talk about Gmail. Yeah. So Google does offer a third, you know, their own email app for iOS and iPad OS. It is very googly. It looks like a Google app. You know, it, it, it doesn't feel like an Android app. It feels like a Google app, which is kind of its own separate thing. So it fits in yeah. line with Google Maps. And if you use, you know, some of their other tools, Google Docs or whatever, kind of feels that way. Uh, it, it is, if you're all in on Gmail, this is a pretty good way to go as far as third-party clients because you're using their app. So it's integrated really well. You don't have to worry about some other company having access to your tokens to log into your account or anything. And for a long time, David, this is actually how I used my work email is that I have personal email and mail and then work email in the Gmail app. And finally, I just sort of collapsed them all back into Apple Mail. But if you have a, a G Suite account and you want it separated from your other email, this is a fantastic way to do it. Yeah. There was um, a lot of people in the forums talking about Gmail and, and a very uh, re often recurring comment was, go all in. You know, if you're going to use Gmail, use their apps. And I've always believed that because, you know, Gmail is supposed to work with IMAP email clients, but it does until it doesn't, you know, and it seems like every time there's a new update to the operating system or something happens, you see the blog posts about the people who have trouble with getting Gmail on their IMAP newsreaders, not even just Apple Mail, just any of them. Yeah. And, um, and I always felt like also, you know, if you're going to take advantage of Gmail and all those additional features, the IMAP, the plus part of IMAP plus, the best place to do that is with Google's apps, because of course they're going to build their features into their apps. So if you're going to use Gmail, I think you start with these apps and you only leave them if you have a really good reason. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's well said. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's good at the stuff you think it'd be good at. Um, you know, they're, they're really good at search. One thing Google doesn't get enough credit for is I think their keyboard shortcuts are easier and faster to implement than Apple mails. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, um, like tagging and all that stuff you can do very quickly while sitting on a keyboard with Gmail. A lot of that stuff takes Apple scripts and, you know, chewing gum with the, uh, with Apple mail. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you're going to use Gmail, go all in with it. Um, mm -hmm. And now they they don't have a standalone Mac app, but there is a Mac app called Mailplane, 
which is what I use in conjunction with this for a long time. And yeah. that gives you the web interface of Gmail sort of in a native app wrapper. And it's uh, it's a nice way to to have your Gmail in an app that's not just like a tab in a browser. And as someone who prefer who genuinely prefers Safari over Chrome, I would still say if you're going to use Gmail, use Gmail and Chrome, you know, mm-hmm. uh, run, you know, run Chrome for Gmail because you know that the browser they built is going to do better job of handling the email engine that they built than Apple's will. Sure. But, uh, you know, it's fine. You know, Gmail is good, but if you're going to use it and, and that's the part about it that really always keeps me from really kind of going all in with Gmail's. I know my personality and how I do like to try different apps and being stuck with one is going to make me nuts, even though I've kind of been using Apple mail the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do have, uh, we want to talk about uh, airmail and spark mail, but since neither one of us are using them on a daily basis, we brought in some special guests. Yeah, that's right. So I spoke to uh, Rosemary Orchard about airmail. That was a fantastic conversation. Let's hear it. So, Rose, you're a big user of Airmail. That's an app I haven't checked out in in quite a while, but I know one of its sort of primary selling points is the actions that you can use in the app to kind of get mail data from email into other apps. What are some of those things that really make it for you? Well, the first thing that makes it really good for me, of course, is the OmniFocus action because there are so many things that come at me via email where I'm there going, okay, this needs to go into OmniFocus. And for me, the selling point of the OmniFocus action is it literally just sends it to OmniFocus and then inside of OmniFocus, I add all the tags and everything to it. Whereas some other applications, you know, they try and do clever things in the background and they just sort of go, it's in your inbox. And you're there going, uh, but I didn't want it with that title in my inbox. And that that's not what I wanted. So that's the first action that I use a lot of the time. But there, there are a whole host of actions and the ability to customize the order and create custom actions is where, where I really go nuts for it. And these these actions that are in here, are they like shortcuts where an app is donating them? Or is it something that Airmail itself is building for its users? So the custom actions and, in fact, all of the apps and services that are inside of Airmail are more like workflow used to be than shortcuts is now. So this is what the Airmail team set up um, to use. To provide you with so um for example there's uh the options to connect to like github and so on but that's all maintained by the Airtable team okay so they're they have this list of things that they want to do and they they kind of monitor and update things uh how active does that development seem on the action side i would imagine that if there's a change to omnifocus or there's some new app that comes out that people want to integrate with are they pretty responsive to those changes They are pretty responsive to those changes, but in my uh, experience as well, the way that they set it up is they try to make it a very generic setup. So say, for example, adding something to OmniFocus. I'm going to use this example because this is the one that I use all the time. It's just like doing the share sheet and then send to OmniFocus from something else um, where it literally opens this item inside of OmniFocus. So they try to just sort of open whatever this is in the in the end app, which then means that you then have all the options inside of that end app. So once they've added that integration, theoretically, the app developers can update things to to handle stuff because they they try and share email in, you know, the most generic form possible, which in, in the case of OmniFocus here is like a text version of the email with a link back to that email inside of Air t- Airmail. Okay. And I know like in Apple's mail apps, which is the the ecosystem I live in, those links are universal in the sense that if I create a mail link on my Mac and then it also works on 
the iPhone, iPad. Is that true for AirMail as well? Those links work across all the platforms? Yes, yes, they do. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to a little bit about how AirMail itself works. I think it's a lot like the third other third-party mail apps where uh, you, you are granting AirMail permission, some, some sorts of permissions to your email accounts. How does that flow go? And are you comfortable with those trade-offs? Well, there are two options that you can do with AirMail. Either you can do like a purely on-device setup where it will go and check your email accounts, or you can do the option via their server where their server will go check your email accounts to see whether or not there's new stuff and then pull that information to send you uh, push notifications. Because uh, as you probably know, if you try to use Google Apps with uh, Mail, uh, then it doesn't actually have push. It's only got fetch where it goes and checks like every 15 minutes or however Mm -hmm. often to see whether or not you've got that. So you actually have the two options. um, And if you're concerned about privacy, they suggest the privacy one, which is where it's purely on your device, where your device is doing the going and the fetching instead of their servers doing the going and the fetching and then the pushing, um, which allows both of those i tend to use it in the privacy mode purely because i have my work email in there as well and i'm pretty certain work would really not be happy with some (laughs) other somebody's servers going and checking uh, my email i didn't have to ask anybody about that i just used my common sense there but i have set it up um, because they're not farming your data or anything it's all in the privacy policy Uh, they're just doing it essentially to send you notifications and so i read through it and i thought well i'll set it up for test purposes on one account and then i realized i don't really like email notifications so i decided to to opt for the privacy option there because if i get an email five minutes later then I, so far the world hasn't ended so i'm pretty happy with that yeah i mean i, I live with those <laughs> limitations every day in mail and very yeah. rarely has the 15 minutes cost me anything anything real Exactly. Yeah. I know you are uh, a big iPad user, but AirMail is also uh, a Mac app. That's how I primarily used it uh, when I checked it out mm-hmm. several years ago. And at, at the time, those early days, AirMail had a real reputation for being pretty buggy. Uh, I get the sense that that has improved okay. over the years. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah. It really has improved a lot over the years, and they've just released version 4 as well on the Mac, which has added like the custom actions and so on, which I use a lot on iOS, and okay. so it's really good to have that on the Mac. Um, and I found it's really stable. I've not had any issues with it so far, um, which I'm very happy about. I am aware that people have had issues in the past. Maybe it's the sheer volume of email I get that I don't notice when something doesn't work, or maybe <laughs> uh, it does just work. Um, but I, so far, I've not had any problems, unless I've occasionally i've done something stupid like the other day i canceled sending an email and then was confused why i didn't send them was sitting in my draft folder (laughs) at which point i remembered i turned on the feature to have that option um where when you send an email it doesn't immediately send it it gives you like five seconds to cancel it in case you you messed up and you put something in there that you didn't want Mm -hmm. yeah there's always that thing of like as you send it you're like oh i forgot the attachment or i Uh misspelled their name or you know whatever yeah or i forgot to cc david on this email that actually he should probably say yeah oh i've made that that very specific mistake in the past as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah sparks happens to everyone (laughs) if someone is using the the apple mail ecosystem or you know the default app on their devices uh, what do you think is the single biggest reason they should look at at something like airmail i mean the mail app is free it's built in it's all on device as far as checking uh, Airmail does have uh, a cost that comes with it, right? I think it's uh, $10 a year for yeah, Airmail yeah. Pro. Uh, what What is sort of this your elevator pitch for someone who to check this out? 
Well, if you want to get your email out of mail on iOS, then you, you need something other than the mail app. And for, for that, Airtable is definitely great. It, it works perfectly for me to, to send things over. And it's got that level of customization that you won't get from something like mail, which is designed for everybody. So if you want to be able to have at the bottom where you can delete an email and archive an email and forward an email, if you also want a button there to create a PDF, you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that you're you're rarely going to find in the other applications, being able to customize the entire UI from swipes to buttons to, to do what you like. I definitely noticed that burn on Apple Mail. What is What is your beef with Apple Mail? I can't get my email out. Like I can only, uh, I can drag it and drop it on iPad. But then if I'm on my iPhone, which I often am when I see something and I'm like, I need to put this in OmniFocus so I can mm-hmm. work on it later. Or I need to, you know, send this over to, to uh, as, as a PDF to this. I, I don't want to do the thing where you print it and then you, you zoom in and you try and do the share sheet from there. It always, I always end up spending what feels like an hour trying to do that. Um, and I just want to be able to get my email out of mail to somewhere else where I can work on it, where it actually makes sense to me and fits in with the rest of the workflows. Yeah, I think that is the selling point for Airmail. Honestly, if mm. you want that sort of uh, sort of workflow where it's like, hey, I want this message and its contents and a link to it to be in OmniFocus or things or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, on the on the Mac with Mail, you can do that with AppleScript. There's a couple different ways to get like the URL of a message, but you're right mm-hmm. on mobile especially in the iphone mail sort of has these really tall walls around it and of course we're recording this right before wbdc but in uh however long ios has been around there's never been a share extension for messages in mail like ever and no. uh I-, I will say this even as someone who uses mail it is very much stuck in the past with not having a bunch of these features right where it's like come on like all these other clients are doing this apple could you could you get on board yeah, exactly. And just just things like being able to like view the source of a message and stuff like that, like that is something you're never going to get in mail. Like it's there on the Mac if you dig for it, but mm-hmm. you're not going to see that on, on the iPad. But every so often I'm there and I'm looking at an email from somebody going, what happened here? And I view the source and I'm like, oh, they copied and pasted things from like six different places and it's got weird formatting attached. Right. That's why it looks weird. Okay. Uh, like I'm not missing something here because, you know, you view it and then you go and you're like, I don't know. Like, is this me or does this look weird? And you look, show it to somebody else and they're like, yeah, that looks weird. And you look at it on the web, in my case, in, in Google Apps, and it's like, yeah, that really does look weird. You source, mm-hmm. oh, that's why it look, looks so weird. So it, it's nice to be able to have that and redirecting mail and so on. So like bouncing it to somewhere else, essentially, that's handy. Uh, if you need stuff like that. Of course, not everybody needs things like that. And, you know, if you don't need stuff like that, then, well, you can skip that feature. Yeah, sometimes I play the the game of what would happen if Apple would make x mac app a catalyst app and with the mail it'd be like a bunch of these features would go away <laughs> right like oh, yeah. i think apple wants its Definitely. mail app to be simple and to be fair that meets the needs like you said of a lot of people but for those who want more or need more especially on ios and ipad os you've almost yeah. got a good third party exactly like if you, if you just want the ability to snooze an email so say you get tickets for an event and you just want it to pop up like before the event's gonna start like being able to snooze the email is perfect for something like that but, you know, you can't do that in the mail app, but you can do it in AirMail. So yeah. that's why it works for me. Or you can do it through a service like Sanebox, which is great, and disclose your sponsor. But that is sort of a, an add-on to mail at the server level, right? Mail itself just doesn't mm-hmm. have these native features. Exactly, yeah. 
Cool. Well, Rose, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I wish you luck with all your emailing. Well, thank you. I'm aiming for inbox zero, so let's see what happens by the end of the episode. <laughs> Godspeed. All right, so the one thing that Rose um, said that made me feel a little better about airmail was the stability has improved. Yeah. Because I, I – so airmail solves a bunch of problems that I have with the mobile version of Apple Mail in the sense that it has features, you know, <laughs> you know, keyboard shortcuts, the ability to save as PDF, like all the stuff I was whining about earlier. I, I don't like the fact that their URL links are unique to airmail like when you create a link to a mail, because mm-hmm. I like kind of the common ones that Apple Mail uses. And there's only been one 30-party app over the years. Dispatch used to allow you to make them that would work with Apple Mail. But but AirMail, because so when you go with AirMail, you kind of got to use it across both platforms. But the stability was a big issue, as I've referred to earlier in the show. When I used it, I liked the features. I did not like the lack of stability. And I learned that in my case, I would rather have St- uh, stability than features when it comes to my email client. You know, sure. I'm not willing to put up with much. Um, so much so, I remember vividly. I was in uh, I was in Seattle with Rose at a conference, and I was in the hotel lobby trying to deal with email on my iPad, and Airmail kept giving me problems. And she came down to the lobby and she says, "Oh, hey, Airmail just came out with another email application. It was like a Gmail thing that they made." Mm-hmm. And I literally rage quit the app at that moment. <laughs> I right in front of her, I deleted the, I'm like, you're kidding. They're making another mail app and this one doesn't have the bugs fixed. You know? Yeah. I, I just deleted it and I haven't come back to it since then. Now Rose is telling me that it's safe again. So I'm thinking, oh, do I want to go back and try it, Steven? Yeah. I mean, I was glad to hear that too. I haven't used airmail in a really long time. And when I gave up on it, it was because of the bugs. Yeah. But she says they're fixed. It's happening. The siren song is playing again. Do I try it? I don't know. When I talk about my workflows, you'll see why I don't need it at this point, but I'm sorely tempted. Another app that's very popular, and I do have to acknowledge has the best name of all of the email applications, would be SparkMail. But I don't really use that one, so I thought I'd talk to Mike Hurley, who uses SparkMail every day. So, Mike, thanks for giving us some time today. Uh, we've Pleasure. been we've been talking about Apple Mail, but we also want to talk about Spark. But we wanted to talk to somebody that uses it every day, and I know that you happen to be one of those people. Yeah, and I I'm in the um, smaller group, I think, who uses and pays for Spark's team sharing features, which is uh, honestly the main reason I use the app at this point. But I think that's probably useful. Like, I think a lot of people use Spark, uh, but don't use the team sharing because they don't need it but but i kind of i cover all the bases with this app yeah and and i want to talk about this in two phases because spark does have a very unique sharing feature if you have collaborative team members but it's also just an email app and a lot of people Mm. just use it as an email app so let's talk about that first category how's it doing so dave i say this (laughs) i i spend a lot of my life talking about email apps uh and i have a mantra which is that no email app is actually good Uh, Every email app is some varying level of annoying in its own way. And Spark Spark has gotten better. It used to be a lot more heavy-handed with things than it is now. Um, I try and use it in the most basic sense possible. Um, After some 
you know, like after using some applications that had some very heavy features, but would do a lot of really weird stuff with IMAP folders. You know, I think everyone's got those mailbox folders, right, from the mailbox app somewhere, like in their Gmail, like uh, I do. Yeah. Right. Uh, I decided I didn't want to do any of that stuff anymore. So, like, I don't snooze email. Um, I don't uh, use smart inboxes. Uh, I, I turn those features off or ignore them. Um, I use, you know, Spark with just their regular inbox and everything comes in and I deal with it or I file it away. Um, so I try and use it for pretty basic purposes like that. Um, the design of Spark, it's a mixed bag, but honestly is so much better now than it used to be. Uh, like the application used to have like clouds in the design and stuff like that. They've gotten rid of all of that. Um, and now that their design I really enjoy because they have like a true dark mode, right? Like a fully black mode, which I like, um, not just the gray. Uh, and they have just a list of uh, a list of emails. What, one thing I don't like is in the email uh, list view on iOS, um, they they split it. They like group everything up into days, like email received today, email received yesterday. Like I just don't need that. Yeah. And for me, it, it, it shows me less emails in my inbox. Uh, but to be honest, it's a lot better than it used to be. And they have some really good features now. Like you can customize a lot of their toolbars and stuff. So when you're in an email, I now have a button that turns the email that I'm looking at into a PDF, which is really good for me because then I can like upload as a, as a receipt for my account and stuff like that. So it's got some power user features, but there are also massive parts of the app that I do not use. Like Spark integrates a calendar into the application. I never want to see it. I don't use it. Um, like I have a great calendar app that I use, right? Like I am a fantastic L user and I love it. I don't need a calendar in my email in the same way that I don't need email in my calendar. Like I don't need those two things to go together. Um, sometimes it can get in the way of like, you know, if you get email invites to events, Spark really wants you to use it for for at managing that stuff um but overall overall i am a happier user of spark than i have been ever but that might be purely because of my warm feelings towards the the service features that it has yeah and it's always in my opinion been one of the prettiest mail apps i mean they've got real attention to design and it's an attractive app and and that kind of means something to me at least um, yeah I I feel like it can be for good, for good and for ill, though. Like you know, as I said, like some some of the the appearance stuff that they've done in the past, I haven't liked. But it looked good, but that didn't make it a better application in any way, right? Yeah. No. Um, but but I think they've they've really kind of tamed some of that back to just basic. This is nice looking UI. Now, what about stability? I mean, it's, it's so important to everybody to have an email app that doesn't crash. That when you hit the send button, it actually sends email. Have you have any complaints or issues along those lines? No, none. One of the main reasons I started using Spark, um, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, was because I was on Airmail before, and Airmail had a period of time where it was really unreliable, yeah. um, like email not getting sent. And I had that happen to me, and then immediately, like, I'm done. Right? Like this, My email is very, very important to the way that I run my business. I cannot deal with any unreliability of any kind in an email app right like email not getting sent email not showing up in inboxes like that stuff is you know 
I will stop using the application like immediately if I start to feel that there is unreliability because then you're just, you're in a world of hurt, right? At that point. Uh, and I have no stability issues at all with Spark. It, it's pretty rock solid with stuff like that. Um, you know, it will have the occasional uh, email formatting thing. You know, a lot of applications have, have struggled in some places with the switch to dark modes. And every now and then, like an email might not show up completely right. Like, you know, like it's like, this should be dark, but for some reason it's like a light gray. It's like weird, but that stuff is not a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, one thing I didn't mention, Dave, is just how good their search is. Spark's email searching is the best. Like it's very, very fast, very reliable. You can set saved rules. Like I have found that to be like a really excellent uh, feature of the application as well. And, and now you're using the app on Mac, iPhone, and iPad all across all platforms? Yeah, that's also a big thing for me. Like, I want to have a consistent user experience across all platforms. Um, and again, especially because Spark does have some unique features, uh, like their team sharing stuff, which is kind of a layer on top of the email. Um, I wouldn't want to use like Apple Mail on my Mac because then I would have an inconsistent experience from place to place. Um, so I do use use it on the Mac. And uh, the Spark is also available on Android. So I have an Android phone that I use very frequently. And I can get all of my email there as well and, and do all that stuff. So it, of all of the apps that I've tried in the last little while, it is the most cross-platform. All right. So tell me about this collaboration. Yep. What is it and how does it work? So basically that you can have uh, team accounts, they can be free and there's also a paid version as well um, and they offer different features. Uh, I use the paid version because it is, I, I actually don't need a lot of the paid features, but I use and rely on this service so much that I, I decide to pay for it basically, right? Like I want it to exist, so I put my money where my mouth is. Um, for me, all of the email that I'm sharing is with uh, Real FM's advertising sales manager, Kerry. We share email together for either she she will want to check something with me or I'll get an email come in and we'll want her to deal with it. And basically the way that there are lots of features like shared and collaborative drafts that you can do together. I don't use those, but they exist. You can delegate email, which again, they, they added that in and I'd kind of worked out my flow, so I don't really use that. Um, all that me and Kerry do is use the sharing feature. So this this can operate itself in a couple of ways. If an email is sent to the both of us, when we open it, we can see that that's the case, right? Rather than just through the CC, we get little icons in the top right-hand corner. And what that means is we know that Spark knows that we've both received this email and we can now have a conversation below the email message like a iMessage conversation, sure. basically, and that's how it appears. And then if I was to reply to that email, it would then show up in line with that conversation, and then we could continue another conversation underneath. Similarly, if I or Carrie gets an email and wants the other one to see it, we can elect to share that email, whether just the one or the entire thread with each other, and continue to have a conversation. We can share files, which I really like. So like, for example, if there's a contract attached to an email, I could download it, sign it, re-upload it in Spark, and then Kerry can take that and send it back to the client or whatever that we're dealing with. So for us, it's become very useful because it removes the context barrier 
because we were having these conversations before. So say an email was sent to both of us or I would have to forward an email via the traditional forwarding method, which adds a bunch of mess to the email metadata, right? When it starts getting forwarded around. Yeah. Plus, if you forward an email and make a comment, that could end up being back in the chain and you might not want it to be, right? Like, So that's that's something that can always be a problem. I've gotten myself in trouble in the past with not paying attention to forwarded text properly. But we would we would have email in whatever email app that we were using. Then we would have conversations about the email in Slack. And it would always be like, did you see that email? That All that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like having to refer backwards and forwards. But because we can have these conversations in line with the email message, there is no context needed anymore. It's all there. You can see it. You can see the whole history, all of that stuff. And it's so powerful for people that collaborate together like this. I expect that this stuff would be especially powerful for sales, right? Which is our main purpose for it. But I'm sure like, if you ever find yourself forwarding email backwards and forwards to people and needing to have conversations about an email message, you would see, you would really enjoy this basically, right? Like I think that it's very, very useful for stuff like that. So that's the killer feature for you. Oh, most definitely. Like I use Spark now because of this and I would not consider switching email application to any app that did not offer these same features now because it's become so indispensable to the way that I work. If you didn't need this feature, would you still be on Spark? That's a really good question. Um, Probably right now, probably it. I, I think it is my favorite of the apps that I've tried. Um, I know that there are a lot. There's a lot of stuff coming, right? Like there's that app or service, Hey, right, which is coming from the Basecamp people, which like I'm intrigued in checking out. And I've seen stuff like this, you know, and, and I've used Outlook. Outlook's pretty good, um, but I would probably stick on Spark for the time being. But I have no doubt that there will be email applications in the future that I will be tempted to try because I can't stop myself. But I won't be able to switch to them unless they can offer these features now. And I'm not going to use two email apps. It is funny how everybody um, really comes down to you like the app because it hasn't made you angry. <laughs> There's yeah, very few people thing. that love their email app. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, this one has not betrayed me recently so i'll stick with it and i it's funny we're, as we record the show that seems to be the feeling everybody has in their email app uh, some but nobody's made one that people are truly passionate about but it sounds like you're working good with spark and it, it actually solves a problem for you how much does it cost to add the uh, collaboration tools they have a free option which is up to five people per team five gigabytes of storage it's actually really generous uh, then they had the premium option, which is $6.39. Well, it's actually $7.99 if billed monthly, and they have annual things per user. So it's about $8 a month per user. Sure. That works great for us. Well, Mike, I'm glad you found your your peace with email. <laughs> and, uh, well. <laughs> as we sit here, I understand mm-hmm. it may change in the future. I think we all feel yeah. that way. That's the reason why MPU covers email every two or three years, because it mm-hmm. seems like it is never a settled question. But it no. sounds like you've got a good solution here. And, and the collaboration, that, that sounds really great. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan. Thanks. Yeah, I think the, the killer feature with Spark is exactly what y'all spoke about, being the ability to communicate with your team around an email message so you don't have to go out to Slack 
or like you forward the email to somebody because that's just like a recipe for disaster because then you, you know, you accidentally send, uh, you know, you forward the email back to the customer and it can get really awkward. I think that's a, a great, really innovative feature. Again, not based on email, but sort of in parallel with it. Yeah. And it's interesting to see somebody take on a problem with email. That's not the typical problem we face. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like what they've done. Another thing I'd make point I'd make about it is that spark is the prettiest of them all, in my opinion. Yeah. It's nice looking. And, and both airmail and spark have Mac apps as well. So you can use, you can go again, you can go all in on their sort of way of doing things across your devices. Uh, how can we talk about mail without talking about Outlook? Right. <laughs> the, in some ways, the original, the very original email client, at least for most of us, on iOS, it's a, it's actually a, a really nice iOS email client. Microsoft bought a couple of apps, one being Accompli and the other being Sunrise. Yeah. They sort of smashed them together to make Outlook for iOS. I know a lot of people, in fact, a lot of listeners that that use Outlook as a choice. You know, Outlook used to be the app you used because you had to for work. Mm-hmm. There are several people that use it by choice. They're so happy with the way Microsoft has done this application. Yeah, and it is it works with, of course, it works with the Microsoft stuff, so Exchange or Office 365, but you can just hook up an IMAP account to it or a Gmail account to it or anything else, just about anything else. So if you like the way that it does things, you can probably use what you're using now, just move it into Outlook. Yeah. That being said, I have the scars are too deep. I can't imagine myself tapping on that Outlook button. <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, remember Outlook Express? That was the Oh yeah. And Entourage on the Mac for a yeah. while because we didn't have Outlook. I remember those days. I do think that Microsoft has really done a great job of supporting iOS. I mean, you can tell how much the company culture at Microsoft has changed because they're not just mailing it in on the iOS apps. You know, like this this thing they've done with Outlook was not easy. You know, they had to buy third-party apps. They had to pull them together. And even with their Office suite, they, they really want, uh, you know, Apple iOS users to feel comfortable with their software. And I, I hand it to them on that. Totally. Totally agree. That is definitely something that has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile Software. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast to sign up, get a discount, and start automating your text today. Text Expander can update your snippets on all of your devices so you can use them whether you work in office or at home. With Text Expander, you can make your snippets more powerful with fill-ins, pop-ups, and more. So your messages are customized instead of just that boilerplate text. And that customization is so useful. Like you can put in the month and the year if you want, and you can put in a fill-in snippet where you can type somebody's name in. I have a bunch of snippets that I start with Text Expander in the subject line where it will take the current month and year and I'll put that in the subject line with whatever text I want to say. And then it'll hit the tab key for me. So the cursor jumps down to the body of the text. Then it'll run that Apple script I talk about in today's show to say, dear, and insert the name of the person and then hit a comma and return and type my message for me. It's crazy how much email you can automate with text expander, but it's not just for email. Anything you write with repetitive text can be handled with text expander. 
You can search it and modify it in the app. And, uh, you know, it runs on many different platforms, Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. Um, they have webinars every month over at TextExpander.com. They're really useful. So if you are a TextExpander subscriber and you want to get better at it, you can get beginner, advanced, or even team webinars to learn more about boosting your productivity. I did one a few months ago. I thought it came out really good. TextExpander also works on all of your computers, so you can expand snippets when you're in the office or at home. No matter what device you are, it's going to work for you. And best of all, show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. It's the gateway to automation. You want to get better at automating? Start with TextExpander. Go to TextExpander.com slash podcast to get that 20% off and start making your computer work harder for you today. Thanks, TextExpander, for supporting the Mac Power users. So up next is email automation. And this is where I just got to hand it off to you because honestly, I don't do a lot of this. I've got a couple of small things I do, but I generally just handle my email the old-fashioned way. Oh, brother. Man, I, I use email automation so much. In fact, we, I just read a text expander ad <laughs> where I shared one of my email automations. The idea that you can embed a tab key, and this is uh, not an ad. This is just the fact that I like the fact that you can have a text snippet. You can embed a tab key. It unlocks the doors for me because mm-hmm. I can have an email. that I run an expansion snippet in the subject line, and it, it runs the email for me. I like to use Apple Script, um, and with Apple Script and Apple Mail, putting those together on the Mac, there's a lot you can do. Um, I also like those fill-in snippets because, like, um, I didn't talk about in the ad, but like my monthly billings go out, and there's a whole bunch of options I have in there. Like, if I want them to, you know, ask if they want me to send them one by mail or whatever, I can just click a box and it happens for me. Um, I am not a fan of doing email. You know, I mean. I, I do as much email as I have to, but I, that's not where I make things. So I don't want to be stuck there. So uh, automation is super helpful there. Not only do I use automation in writing email, I also use it kind of in organizing and, and saving email. So um, if you want to get into automation, I would say the best place to do that is Apple Mail on the Mac. Not only can you use the Apple scripts I've been talking about throughout the show, but you can also use things like Keyboard Maestro. Keyboard Maestro and Apple Mail go together very nicely. Uh, I published on Max Sparky recently, and I'll put a link in the show notes, um, a Keyboard Maestro script I wrote where people would often send us ideas for the feedback shows. And the way Stephen and I manage feedback now is we have a shared Google document called Running Feedback. And I just wanted to be able to take the text of the email and put it into that Google Doc without having to block and copy, then go to the Google Doc and open the Google Doc and go to the bottom and paste and all that. So I just wrote a keyboard maestro script that once I copy the text, I, I hit a magic keyboard com- uh, stroke and it copies it, does all that stuff for me in the background. I don't have to worry about it. I'm also doing a serious experiment with Dev and Think right now. And one of the things I need to do as a lawyer is I need to often save copies of emails related to client projects and I'm looking at DevonThink versus uh, Basecamp. Uh, Basecamp, the way it handles that is you copy the email to a magic email address that applies to each different project. With DevonThink, you've got a way to automate saving the email into your DevonThink database, but I want to automate the process of putting that email where it belongs once it goes in. 
And I've got some cool stuff I'm going to talk about when we get to our email workflows um, that I'm doing with that. Yeah. So I, I think automation and email really is something everybody should consider. Yeah, mine are the few that I have are text expander related. I've got one that gives me the URL to the mail message. Uh, I've got um, that's the one that I use by far the most often. But really, other than that, the automation I'm doing is sort of mostly just same box doing the things that I've trained it to do. So I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm behind you a little bit in this. Yeah, so the the one Stephen was referring to, I run that as it's an Apple script that grabs because there is a URL address for each individual email address, each each email. So like if I am going into OmniFocus and I want to be able to just click a button and get back to the email related to a task, or even I'm going to something like Apple Notes or Ulysses and I want to have a way to get back to an email in reference to something I'm writing. Um, I have a script, I, my trigger for it, I, it's actually, I, I combine an Apple script with a text expander snippet. So I just type e-link mm-hmm. and it runs an Apple script and it puts an, an electronic link to that email. Uh, how do you activate that when you do it? Same thing. I have it in text expander as an Apple script. Yeah. If we haven't shared that, if I don't have a link for me sharing that in the past, I'll put it up before the show. Yeah. I've got it. You, you did it last year. So I've got that in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like stuff like that is really helpful. Um, on the iOS side, automation is harder. Yep. Um, because everything is sandboxed so well. Uh, an app like Airmail makes auto, there's a lot of automation built into an app like Airmail if you want to go use Airmail. I think Sparkmail has quite a bit of it too. So if you really want to get serious about automation, I feel like try those apps. If Airmail is more stable, it may be that may be the thing that brings it over the top for you. The Shortcuts app allows you to automate stuff. Um, for instance, I have a shortcut automation I do in relation to a, a transaction I do for clients. There's a yearly thing I have to do for clients. And I built that out as a shortcut where it, it sends an email. So it creates an email with tokens that I've created and sends it to the client and creates an OmniFocus project and creates a calendar entry. So that kind of automation is very possible on iOS. Yeah, that that really on the iPhone iPad is going to be way more app dependent because you don't have things like Apple Script and kind of dip into a bunch of different things. You can do some things with mail in shortcuts. Uh, for a while, I had a couple of things that would, I could take something and email it to like a special email address to get it into, well, to be honestly, to get it into Remember the Milk when I, when I was on that train. Uh, so wow. you can yeah. send messages yeah. with shortcuts on iOS, but there's not a lot of, deep level stuff you can do and remember the milk man that's the app that you just can't quit i I come back to it every couple of years you know but like the the apple script that inserts the name of the recipient automatically that's not going to happen on the iphone you know, mm-hmm. they, they just don't have the tools although dispatch which is a beloved mail app that is no longer supported as far as i can tell used to do that it would actually do that it was programmed into the app man dispatch was a great app yeah, there were there have been a lot of good ones, right? Mailbox. I mean, there there've been a lot of good email apps that have died over the years. Yeah, and then how come none of them support Text Expander? It's so so obvious. I mean, what a feature that we would want is Text mm-hmm. Expander support. But anyway, Dispatch did. Anyway, uh, then the you know kind of the third leg of this automation tool is cloud based automation. And that's the stuff we kind of talked about with Gmail. And honestly, Gmail is the place to do it. Yeah. 
I haven't mentioned my use of Apple rules. I've just talked on the show about how great they are, but I've got a bunch of those too. Like, you know, if emails come from certain people it automatically files it for me. And I, I have a whole bunch of that stuff running. And since my iMac is on 24 seven and, and mail is open, in fact, I have mail just set to, every time I log in, it just opens the app. Um, it's pretty great having those Apple mail rules in the background, but I would much prefer that being cloud-based. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. All right, so we've gone this far. Let's talk about our workflows. How, how are you managing email, Stephen? You're not going to like this, David, but it is a mostly manual, mostly all day, every day process. Okay. For me, the idea of just check your email between the hours of three and four o'clock just doesn't work the way our business works. So email is pretty much always open on whatever Mac I'm working on. Now, I balance that a little bit with some notification stuff. So on my iOS devices, my iPad and phone, I rely on the VIP system. So if a non-VIP emails me, my phone, the badge number will increase, but it won't send me a notification to my lock screen unless it's one of those VIP people like you, like you, you know. Yeah, amen. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't abuse it, right? No, I almost no, never email you. We email yeah. each other actually very little, which is which yeah. is great. I have enough email otherwise. But you know, so much of our my email in particular at work is like customer support for things like the membership or stuff with our sales process, or it's stuff that generally it doesn't necessarily always need a reaction within a, a couple of minutes, but it needs to be handled relatively quickly. So I, I just leave mail open on the Mac and, you know, I'm fine sitting here and working for two hours if there's three or four unread emails, but I, I need to get back to them usually pretty quickly. Now, have you had much trouble? Cause I, I talked earlier about how Gmail on Apple mail can re- result in problems. I never asked you, do, has that given you headaches over the time? I mean, a little bit, I've kind of gotten used to force quitting mail on my, <laughs> on my iOS devices if it appears to get stuck. But almost all of my email is actually done on the Mac. I have all my email clients set up on my phone and iPad, but usually because an email becomes a bigger thing, right? Like see why somebody's membership didn't renew or whatever it is, work on a spreadsheet. I generally do most of my email work on my Mac and and the Mac app has been fine with Gmail for several years now. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else in your workflow? So yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I use Gmail for personal stuff. I use G Suite for my work email. Uh, I use SaneBox, which again has been a sponsor, but I, I used them before then for snoozing, which I don't, I very rarely snooze stuff. Usually it's stuff over the weekend that I just don't want to see until Monday. I'll just be like dragging in there. Yeah. Remind me on Monday of this. Uh, but, but Sane Later and Sane Black Hole are lifesavers for me. Being able to sort out my inbox and have things I never want to see again go into the black hole is is lovely when your email addresses have been sold to countless PR firms, it seems like. And lastly for me, flags are are something that I kind of view them as like the like if I put a flag on something, it's serious. And I I've I I can go weeks without having any emails have any flags. But a flag in particular is I'm on my phone. I see something I know when I sit down at my computer, I need to look at this. And that's where flags come in handy. And often I'll I'll mark that message unread even. So it it really stands out. But a flag is a huge deal for me. All right. Well, I mean, it it works for you. And uh, I went on this long journey with email and 
came back to a fairly simplified workflow, but, but it, you know, complexity always grows in my life. What can I say? Um, some general email advice I'd give you is, you know, email is usually not your job. Your job is to make something. So try to think about that. You know, I, I always try to remember email is not my product or my job. So to keep it in perspective, for the longest time I had this hang up where I had this self image that I was the guy who answered all email like within a day. Sure. And as a result, I wasn't able to get the work done that actually paid for my shoes. Yeah. And that was a problem. So I eventually kind of lost that. <laughs> I thought, I'm not as good of an email correspondent. I'm willing to give up being that. I'm willing to give up that identity for the identity of someone who actually ships things. The uh, So I kind of take that in place. So I talk often on the Focus podcast about time blocking and you know hyper-scheduling and all that. Um, quite often, it's because you need to block out time to get important work done. But a, an inverse of that is you can use time blocks to block in things that, mm-hmm. that grow too big. And so I put time blocks around email. I only give it 30 minutes in the morning and, and, and about, you know, at most an hour in the afternoon, um, which is still a lot of time, but the uh, never more, you know, and quite often less. So I do the the morning email sweep just for anything that is a true emergency needs my attention. Otherwise, it gets pushed to the afternoon. And because in the morning is when I get my best work done. And and I have to also accept that sometimes I'm not going to get every, not only am I not going to get a response in every 24 hours, I'm not going to necessarily get every email I ever receive answered. Um, and once I accepted that, then it actually made it much easier to live with myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sanebox is a, big deal for me too i know they're a sponsor of the show so take it with a grain of salt if you think we're uh, paid hucksters but the um but same box is great and the thing i like my favorite same box feature is um the feature where you can have it follow up with you if you don't get a reply so that's nice th- there's a common problem i have as a lawyer and also as a nerd when i send an email to somebody that i need to get a response from and for a long time i was tracking those in omnifocus you know like sure. i'd send it, say uh, a task a week from today check back with steven on this email but if steven had replied to me then i had to it was just a pain in the neck it, it wasn't a very efficient workflow and it took a lot of time to set up where samebox you can blind copy it to one week at samebox.com or april 20 at samebox.com or two hours even and it just figures it out for you and if the person you wrote back to doesn't reply by that time then you get a reminder and if they do reply you never see the reminder which is kind of a a killer feature for me all right that being said what's the workflow i'm using apple mail you know i'm very tempted to give airmail another try here in rose but for the time being, I'm using Apple Mail. And one of the things I learned from those those journeys into the wild of trying these third-party apps is the thing I was always going for with that would be to have the same workflow on my iPad that I had on my Mac. You know, that to be able to process any email on my iPad the exact same way I can process them on my Mac. Because using Apple scripts and a bunch of keyboard maestro and other automation stuff I have, I am remarkably fast at dealing with email on my Mac. And I just wanted to have that experience on the iPad. And the moment of clarity to me, Stephen, was when I thought, hey, what if I accepted that I'm just not going to be as efficient with email on the iPad? Sure. What if I realized that I am one of the fortunate people that can have an iPad and a Mac, and I spend time at both every day? So 
why am I spending all these cycles trying to match features on the iPad when maybe it's just not up to it? There isn't that magic app out there that's going to give me the same superpowers. So instead, what if I just treated the iPad truly as an email? Email on the iPad is a triage thing for me. If someone writes me with a quick question I can answer, I'll answer it from the iPad. If it needs further processing, what's an easy way to market for later processing when I'm on the Mac? And that's when I started adopting flags. So I have uh, named my flags and I have a color system for my flags. Like for me, a red flag is I'm going to respond to that before my head hits the pillow. You know, I, I don't want to go to bed with any red flags on any day. Like a blue flag for me is somebody asked me a question about some technology thing, you know, with Max Sparky, people are always asking me about how to make a script to do this or that. And I honestly don't have enough time to answer every single one, but I try to answer a bunch of them mm-hmm. and those get saved as a blue flag and arc. So, so I flag, I flag them and archive them, you know, and I can do that on the iPad just as you like can on the Mac. And like an orange one is kind of something that I want to read and reflect on. I've got different like color codes, right? And some of them have differing degrees of priority. Not like, you know, like you say, you immediately have to deal with the flag. I don't work that way. But when I get to the afternoon email, the red flags always get dealt with, you know. Okay. And um, and so I've got flags. Like right now, I've got about 200 of those blue flags of Max Sparky questions. I wish that number was much lower, but I just released a field guide. We're in a pandemic. My kids moved home. We turned our house upside down. There's a lot going on in my life right now. So. I'm behind on those, but I don't feel guilt about them. They're there, you know? And, and I went through a bunch of processes to get there, to, to get to this blue flag, right? For a while, I would use a sane defer box to say, well, that's a good question. I'd like to help that person out. I can't today. I'll defer it to next week. But then I was doing that every week, right? (laughs) So when you just flag it and archive it, you don't see it repeatedly. You just see that there's, Hey, there's a bucket of things that I can dip into. And it generally, I, I don't want to come off like, you know, Mr. Arrogant, like, oh, I'm so busy, I can't answer your email. But sometimes I get really busy and I really like going into that blue bucket and it brings me joy to go in and answer those emails and kind of converse with people about techie stuff because that's why I do this. But I don't feel like I have to do it every day. Make sense? Totally does. So the workflow between Mac and iOS has changed where the iOS is a triage device and I answer a bunch of email from it, but I also flag and archive a bunch of email from it. And then I do the serious work on email. That afternoon block that gets assigned to email is almost always done at my iMac where I've got all of my superpowers and my keyboard maestro scripts and my Apple scripts and everything working for me to manage this. Like even just print to PDF stuff that, you know, that button I was complaining about doesn't exist. I don't fight it anymore, but I don't go through the crazy Apple system where you have to go to print it and reverse pinch it and share. I, I don't go through that. I just flag it. That's a red flag because I want those receipts saved before the end of the day and I get take care of it on my Mac and it just takes a second and I don't think about it anymore. The other workflow stuff for me, and I talked earlier about the uh, the plugins and I'm currently using MailTags, MailActon and the DevonThink because I am getting very serious about maybe using DevonThink to manage some big parts of my life. I have some, and we're going to probably do a show on it at some point. And this all started before I discovered that, I guess they're sponsoring us now, gang. Mm-hmm. This is not a result of them sponsoring. There was no like backroom deal. I just wanted something easier and more automation friendly. 
so I tried it and it actually is, is working pretty good. And they, they came out with version three with, it's, that looks a lot better. And it just, there's a lot that they fixed with the more recent versions. So I, I'm trying to get my email over there. Well, I have a Devon thing plugin where I just hit command control S control command A is archive control command S sends it to Devon think. But what I discovered with some experimentation is that if I add mail tags to these emails, those tags get imported to Devon think as Devon think tags. So if I can just tag an email, if it's incoming or outgoing and then save it to Devon think with the tags I want, and then on the DevonThink side, I put the DevonThink automation in place. It says, if you see the tag that says Panoyer VNF and email, then put it in the Panoyer VNF file. You know, um, it will um, it'll handle all the automation for me on the back end without me having to do anything. That's pretty cool. We'll have to talk about this more because I'm still kind of experimenting and working with it. But there's some great ways to to use that. But I'm actually in a pretty good place with email now. Once I just accepted. I stopped fighting the system of trying to make, you know, iPad mail work as powerfully as Apple mail on the Mac does. Mm-hmm. And once I accepted that, it was like, I found bliss with this whole thing. Hey, that's great. You know, and I'm, I'm not far behind you. I, I do look at it on iOS and, but I'm like you, I'd prefer to do it on the Mac because I have all these other tools available to me. Yeah, Apple mail on my iPhone is in a folder. It's not even on like the home screen. I don't. Mm, yeah. I don't check mail very often on the phone. If there's something going on, I will. But if there's something going on, I'll have saved that person as a VIP. You know. Um, the other another workflow thing for me with Apple Mail is on iOS. I almost write all of my mail in drafts. You know, it's in my doc. With drafts, you can um, very easily um, write a mail. You put subject is the first line, then the body is the next line, and you save it. And the trick for that is it sends the message without you having to go into Apple Mail and see your inbox and get diverted. And another bit of automation, which now I'm going very deep catalog, I've been working on something, I haven't published on it yet, but I've got a script now for a drafts action that when I write an email or I take a script, it will save it to DevonThink, it'll take the drafts tags and convert them to DevonThink tags, and it will save anything I put in the email with um, a dash next to it as okay. an OmniFocus inbox task. It's a little crazy, but it's working. So I'm pretty good. Happy. No, I'm glad it is. Yeah. It sounds a little Rube Goldberg-y in places, but I like. Yes, it, it is. But when it, but until until you it works um, 100 percent of the time, and you don't have to think about it, and it solves a problem for you. Yeah, I uh, I got a lot going on, Stephen. Got a lot. Of- <laughs> a lot of email. Can you tell? Like, I put too much effort into email because I don't want to deal with it. So, that's that's what's happening here. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our sponsor, Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It is the easiest way to create a website. It doesn't matter what that website needs. If you think about an online store or a portfolio or a blog or hosting a podcast, whatever it is, Squarespace has got you covered. The system lets you easily grab a unique domain name to use, and you can choose from a bunch of award-winning templates that are all beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. The best part is there's nothing to install. You don't have to worry about server patches or upgrades in the middle of the night. Squarespace has it all covered, and they have award-winning 24-7 customer support to back it all up. I've used Squarespace over the years for a bunch of projects for people. I just finished a site for a food mission 
here in Memphis building on a Squarespace. Guys, their old website was so bad. It had last been touched in like 2009. It wasn't responsive. And with really not that much work, got them something that looks modern, works great on iPhones and iPads, built a donation thing for them all within Squarespace. And they're really happy with it. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU and you will get 10% off that first purchase. It's awesome. Once again, squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So uh, the next segment of our outline is entitled The Dark Side of Email. <laughs> I think I was a little dramatic with that, but... But there are some things going on with email that I think listeners need to be aware of, and uh, we thought we'd spend a, a little bit of time talking about those. And for me, by far, the one thing people really need to not only be aware of, but they need to spread the word with their non-nerd family members is this rise of phishing email. And uh, phishing spelled with a P-H, if you look it up on the internet, there's lots of advice about it on the internet. I think I'm going to do a post on it to a Max Barkey, hopefully before the show publishes. But Phishing email is where you get an email that sounds like it's from your bank or from Apple or somebody that would legitimately have an interest in your credit card number, your finances. And they just want you to click the little button to confirm something and type in your account details or give them your credit card. And then you've just given your data to the bad guys. Yeah, don't do that. Um, It can be really tricky to suss these things out, right? Yeah, I mean... It's it's so much more sophisticated in the last two years than it was. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was like a joke. It was like a really bad image. It would say, like one of the tricks I used to tell people is, if it doesn't have your name on it, if it says dear customer or dear valued customer or dear client, whatever, then you know it's phishing. But now phishing emails, some of them figure out your name. So you can't rely on that. Some of them look very realistic. I almost got caught in one i guess i didn't really get caught in, but just for a second i got an email from apple it looked it was from the itunes store saying somebody signed up for like a hundred dollar a month youtube service mm-hmm. and i've got two kids right you know and i saw <laughs> that hundred dollars a month i'm like what the you know just for a second i'm like oh wait a second this is this isn't right yeah youtube doesn't charge a hundred dollars a month you know but they just wanted me to click on the button to cancel the subscription that's all they wanted right mm-hmm. so you're, you're so tempted to do that and of course you know, once the um, the lizard brain got quiet and and logic took over, I'm like, oh, this is phishing. And just to be sure, I went and logged into my Apple subscriptions. And sure enough, there were no subscriptions in Apple to YouTube. But if I had gone to that link and gave them my Apple sign-in, I would have been toast. And mm-hmm. I make a podcast about this. I wrote a book called The Email Field Guide. Hmm. And just for an instant, I was almost trapped, you know. So – I feel like this is something that is very serious now and people need to be hyper vigilant about it. And I think the way you did it was you went and looked at the actual account. You didn't follow any links. You didn't click on anything. You said, Hey, let me go to Apple directly bypass this whole, this whole email and see what's going on. Because chances are if an account needs your attention, then you will have a notice of some sort in like over in that account, right? So if your bank needs something, you can call them or log into your bank account. Again, not 
clicking on the email, but going directly to their website in the browser. And if it's something important, they will, uh, it'll be there waiting for you, right? And that's really where people get tripped up is, oh, I can click on this link. And then if it feels fishy, I can back off. Like you've already clicked the link. Like you're already one step down the path you don't need to be down. You are already in trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, just treat like, like if you met in the age of COVID, if somebody coughed on their hand and offered it to you to shake your hand, that's what, how you should treat the links in those emails. Yep. You know, I mean, they're toxic. Stay away from them. Even if it looks entirely legitimate, you know, the you should always go to the source. You know, if you're with Bank of America and you get an email that looks like it's from Bank of America, do not click anything in that email. Go to Bank of America, log into your account and see what's going on. Or like Stephen said, pick up the phone. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in any of these emails that come from accounts so much so that I once had an account suspended because I didn't believe it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would rather do that than click on one of these. And I look at how much better they are. And you read about these comp there's, there's companies in parts of the world now that are formed to steal money from people, you know, where they have employees that come in and presumably have health insurance plans and they come up with scams to, to rip you off through email. Um, I think this is something that so many people are getting trapped in. And if you're listening to Mac power users, I suspect you're already ahead of the game, but I also know that there's a bunch of people in your family who have no idea that this is even a risk. Not if, if you talk to any fa- friends or family about this episode, talk to them about phishing, you know, and uh, I'll put a link to my blog post about this in the show notes, share, share the link. I mean, it's just, I think this is something that people are going to increasingly get caught in. I think so too. One of the things to remember is, you know, legitimate banks never write you an email and ask you to click a button in the email to log into your account. That That is just not what they do. You know, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, and neither does Apple or Amazon or PayPal or any of these other people that are legitimate. So look at those emails as something you need to look into, but never click in them. That's right. It's so frustrating because I spend so much time confirming that they're spam. Well, yeah, I mean, especially you know about account details, like you, you really can't be too careful. And, uh, you know, if you're on the Mac in particular, like, you know, sometimes it's more obvious that the email's weird because you see more of the formatting at once. But these things are very tricky. I mean, like you said, that in that blog post that's in the show notes, that screenshot looks basically identical to what Apple sends you. It's scary. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, uh, marketing is getting more sophisticated with emails, you know, tracking pixels and there's all these tricks they use now to keep track of what you do with the email. So be aware that you're often under a microscope when you get marketing emails. Um, one of my favorite tricks is to make a smart group, which surprisingly we never talked about in this episode. Apple Mail smart groups are awesome, and they're not on iPhone and iPad. But yep. either way, uh, make a smart group and just search for the word unsubscribe. And then you can just look in there and see all the marketing stuff that came in that you can unsubscribe to. It's great. That's a good trick. Third-party mail clients are a hard business. They are. We've mentioned a couple that have gone away over the years. A lot of people really loved Mailbox. Uh, Dropbox bought them and then put them out of their misery. Uh, Google has bought some over the years. It's a hard business to be in because you're competing with a default free app 
powered most of the time by free services and people just aren't usually willing to pay for, for email when it's just built into everything. So that's, that's hard. And if you consider things like push notifications, you know, features that require money on the developer's end, they can't do it for free. In fact, we talked about airmail a while back. They had a shift in their business model where it was a one-time purchase for a really long time. And then they said, hey, you know, we've got to actually put some stuff behind a subscription. And I don't think they did it quite right. I mean, it kind of is not important now. It was a while back. But yeah, they kind of had to walk back some of that because they basically yeah. said, oh, well, it's now a subscription. And, you know, what you paid for is now uh, locked behind this monthly thing. And, and you know, you got to keep an eye out for that because these apps aren't. They're not the easiest or the cheapest things to run from a developer perspective or maintain. And honestly, if you know their, their subscription at airmail is now $10 a year. And if the app was stable and it did all this extra automation stuff that, you know, uh, Apple mail does not do. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to do serious processing of your mail on your, your mobile device. It's absolutely worth $10 a year, you yep. know, if, but you know, it's just, if that's what it takes to keep it rolling. Cause honestly, when I quit it last time, they weren't under a subscription plan. And I think that's the reason why my bugs weren't getting fixed, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, it, it, I, I don't want to bring out the subscription plan pitchforks just yet, but I, I think there's a, a good case for it. But, you know, getting to the big general point is it's hard to make a third party app. I think email is hard from a developer standpoint. And then you have weird things happening. You know, there was a big story in the news about Edison mail recently yeah so this was an issue where edison has tokens for your email address so they can a lot a lot of these third party clients do this but edison had the issue where they had um an update to allow connected email accounts to show up across all your devices so if you signed in all just set up all on your iphone they would show up on your ipad or or, uh, you know vice versa and some users were seeing email accounts that were not theirs which is about the worst thing that can happen in an email client, I think, is to ha- give you, you access that? to someone else's email address. I just cannot, I cannot fathom it, you know. Yeah. Um, See, and this is why I've just been begrudgingly staying with Apple Mail. Mm-hmm. It's like for all the problems and lack of features, I'm able to fix the feature problem with SaneBox. And Apple has the stability thing down. Yep. They sure do. I really, you know, I think I'm talking myself out of trying airmail again because, you know, it's like I just have to accept I'm not going to get as much work done with email on iOS device. Mm-hmm. But what's wrong with that? You know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, even in prepping for this, you know, I downloaded a bunch of these and played with them, but I don't have any real desire to move off of Apple Mail. It does what I need it to do. And it doesn't have a bunch of features that I either don't necessarily need or would kind of get in the way. Well, I can tell you that a lot of our listeners have, have are braver than you and I because mm-hmm. I've been reading the the forum threads and they're using Airmail, Sparkmail. We didn't even mention today Mailmate, which is like an amazing uh, app, Mac mail application. Uh, we have a bunch of feedback on this, but next week is our feedback show, so we're going to keep the feedback for next week because we've already run long. And, and I apologize for the show being long because last week we ran long too, but. 
you know, mail is a big topic, takes a lot of time to cover. And last week we were just having too much fun with James, but we'll, right. we'll get the show length down to normal length again, but there's a bunch of feedback on this. I don't know that I'm not going to have airmail installed next week because I'm reading all these forum comment threads. Rose is going to get on the phone with me and tell me how great it is. You guys, you know, what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to happen, but the, uh, but for now I'm kind of happy with the way my email workflow is going. Uh, the biggest tip, I would say to share it from my perspective is put a box around email, try and limit it. I know that's not possible for everybody, but if it is possible for you, that helps. And um, in general, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place with email right now. Good. Uh, I'm glad you are. I feel like even though I spend a lot of time in it, I'm relatively happy with the trade-offs. You know, I've got no problem if, if I'm really heads down to something, just quitting it, right? But, uh, you know, most days I'm just doing admin work or show prep, something that's not super intense, then I can dip in and out of it. But again, like I said at the top, it's about finding the balance for you and the set of tools that work for you and your circumstances. And those things can change over time, right? Like my needs I had when I started being independent five years ago, that they're different now, right? So don't be um, hesitant to to readdress parts of your workflow or the apps that you're using if you feel like there's friction that you could get rid of. Yeah, agreed. It changes, agreed. you know? Yeah, and so we, we're going to have a thread. We're going to link it in the show notes where I had asked questions about email before we recorded this show, but there's also going to be the thread in the forums for this this show. So there's two places you can write about email. Uh, sound off there. We'll dedicate a segment of our feedback show next week to email as well because there's just so much great uh, feedback from the listeners i'd like to get some of that into the show content sounds good but you know there's email we covered it for 2020 and we got the authoritative stephen hackett email story for now (laughs) it's not a very exciting one yeah that's pretty good though and um uh, thank you to our sponsors one password devon smile and squarespace we are the mac power users you can find us over at relay.fm slash mpu so many episodes there so many episodes. I just got a, a email from a listener who just discovered us and has gone back to episode one. I mean, that is like dedication, wow. guys. Man, that's that's hardcore. I mailed her a, a sticker. Oh, she good. gave me her address. I, I mean, you know, you get you listen to all five hundred, you get a sticker. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But anyway, like I said, we're the Mac Power users. Uh, see you next week. More talk about email and all the other feedback stuff. So if you've got a feedback topic. Let us know, and uh, we'll see you next week.